they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free. cool video that's Gary puts those together give him a hand he does a great job with those awesome take out your Bibles this morning turn to the book of help me out Galatians so take out your Bibles your mobile devices it's on page 470 if you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up when you came in uh, this morning we continue today our series entitled freedom escaping the bondage of religion to live in the freedom of our relationship with Christ because Jesus did not come to make us religious he came to set us free and we already sang about that this morning and I gave you kind of a working definition for the word religion last week, and I want to give it to you again, and this will kind of be our working definition throughout this series over the next several weeks as we work our way verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And religion is this, man's attempt to please God by adhering to rules and regulations. Trying to get salvation, get eternal life, trying to get God's favor, pleasing Him. Religion does it by man attempting to please God by adhering to rules and regulations. And that's the reason that Paul wrote this book, the book of Galatians, because he was writing uh, to churches that he had started. He went to the area of Galatia. There were several different churches there uh, that were founded by Paul. He went, there was a Gentile area. Uh, they were pagans. They were not believers. And he came in and he delivered the message to them that was delivered to him by Jesus himself when his life was completely changed on the road to Damascus. We talked about that last week. And the message of the gospel, the gospel, what does the word gospel mean? Help me, church. Good news. And the good news that he gave to them was, you don't need to follow uh, idols anymore. You don't need to follow false dead gods anymore and try to do all this stuff to please them. There is only one true living God, Jehovah. And if you put your faith and trust in his son that he sent to die for you, if you put your faith in him and accept his grace by faith, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can have your sins removed. You can have eternal life and your relationship with God restored. And that was great news to to them and it's great news to us today amen church and it was salvation by grace through faith it was Jesus plus nothing but then after Paul left that town there were these men that came in with false teaching called Judaizers we talked about them last week and they came in and they said hey we're glad to hear that you guys have accepted Jesus and that's cool you know we we believe in him too as the Messiah and they, they were Jews but they said now that's a good start but but that's not enough because really it's Jesus plus Jesus plus keeping the law Jesus plus becoming a Jew. Jesus plus keeping some rules and regulations of the law. It's Jesus plus surgery, circumcision. And so the good news went to bad news real quick for many different reasons. And now Paul heard about this, these false teachers, and he wrote the book of Galatians back to these churches to remind them it is not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. Amen? It's faith in Jesus Christ and your personal relationship with him. So that's the backdrop of the book of Galatians. And so anyone comes along and starts trying to add to our relationship with Christ in order to be saved or to be right with God, a lot of times we call that legalism. Everybody say legalism. 
How many of you have ever heard that word, legalism? Okay, if you've been in, around church, you've probably heard that word before, legalism. And basically what legalism says is to please God, you've got to keep some rules and things. And, and that's what was going on in Galatia. And what's interesting is, and, what, and how practical this book of the Bible is to us today, 2,000 years after it was originally written, legalism is still a problem in Christianity and some churches today. It is still the same thing, people coming along saying, Jesus is good, but that's not enough. Let me ask you this question. How many of y'all grew up in church? You pretty much grew up in church, okay? Quite a few of you, quite a few of you, all right. How many of you all, be honest, grew up in a church that had a lot of rules and regulations, okay? Look around, raise them up high, raise them up high. Look at, look at how many hands. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about legalism and rules and regulations. I, I grew up in a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, it was a great church. I had a great pastor. Um, it, the church was on fire for God. I think the pastor had been there about 15, 20 years. He had taken the church from like 100 people to at one point, it was like 1,200, 1,500 people were attending this church. I mean, hundreds of people had come to faith in Christ. Uh, hundreds of people had followed the Lord in baptism to display their faith. Uh, people were being discipled. I mean, there was was just an excitement about that church, like what's happening here at Orchard. I mean, people were bringing their friends and family, and it was a great church to be a part of. And there was so much freedom in Christ, and, and just, you know, it's all about Jesus and your relationship with him, and growing in that relationship, and he'll guide and direct your life. And I loved that church as a kid growing up. And then uh, when I was about uh, 14 years of age, our, that pastor of that church um, decided it was time to retire, which he never really fully retired from full-time ministry, so he retired from being the lead pastor of the church. He went into missions work and, and going around because he had a real heart for missions and uh, speaking in mission conferences and churches and did that until he passed away just this last year. Spent the rest of his life doing that. Well, when he left, we got a new pastor. And the new pastor that came to the church, he came in, and he used to be on staff, and everybody thought he was a really nice guy, he was really cool, but when he became the pastor, he immediately got all the people together, got all the Sunday school teachers together and leaders, and he had this piece of paper, and it was a contract, and he said, if you're going to be a leader in our church, if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher in our church, you got to sign this piece of paper that you won't do this and you won't do that and you won't watch TV and that you won't, you know, if you're a lady, you can't wear pants to church and, you know, and if you're a guy, you got to come if you're a leader in a tie and a suit every week. And I mean, are, 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 you can't listen to this kind of music. You can't go into the movies. Oh, that's of the devil. Can't do that. No movies. I'm not kidding. Some of y'all are like, you're kidding. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and, and he made people sign it. And he took the church from freedom in Christ to legalism. And that church over the next, next several years went from 12, 1,500 down to a couple of hundred people because of legalism, because of religion instead of a relationship with Christ. And the church became more about pleasing people or pleasing a person, a pastor, than pleasing God. And that's a problem. Look at what Paul said last week in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, do I try to persuade men or God, or please men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. What we're going to talk today as we get into chapter 2 about avoiding people problems. Any guys ever experienced people problems? Raise your hand. Okay, ever? Okay, this might be practical to some of you today. And the best way to avoid people problems is to stop trying to please people. When you try to please everyone, you know what usually happens? You, pl you please no one. 
When you try to please everyone, you usually end up pleasing no one, and most importantly, you end up not pleasing God. Paul gives us some great examples in chapter 2, four ways that we can avoid people problems based on what he was dealing with uh, in Galatia and things that were going on here. So let me give you those four today. Number one is this if you're taking notes. To avoid people problems, number one, avoid trying to please people. Avoid trying to please people. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, now remember, he he got saved on the road to Damascus. He really wasn't with anybody except Jesus for three years. He went up to Jerusalem for just a couple of weeks and met with Peter, and then he went back to his home area. And he was there for like 14 years before he really became public and and started doing some things. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to where? To Jerusalem. He had been there once before, but he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. This is one of, was one of his dear friends and uh, one of his fellow uh, ministry partners together. And also, I took Titus with me. Now, Titus was a uh, Gentile who he had probably led to Christ, and he had, was discipling. So he was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. So he had Barnabas with him. He had Titus with him when he went to Jerusalem. And he says, I went up to Jerusalem because I felt like it. Is that what it says? No, I went up by revelation. I went back there because God told me to go back there. So I went back because of revelation, what God told me to do, and I communicated to them, to the people in Jerusalem, that the gospel, the good news which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of the reputation, or privately to the the leaders, the religious leaders at that time of the church, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So God told him to go back to Jerusalem and discuss this matter of, can people be saved without being a Jew? Can people be saved by faith in Jesus alone, or do, we have, or do they have to keep the law and be circumcised and do some works? Now, I want you to hold your place there in Galatians, and I want to give you the exact commentary of, of what happened at that meeting in Jerusalem. Jump over to the book of Acts, a few books back in your Bible, Acts chapter 15, because it gives us the commentary, the play-by-play, if you will, the details of that meeting that took place in Jerusalem where they were going to discuss and decide Is it faith in Christ alone that saves us? Or is it Jesus plus works? Jesus plus the law? Jesus plus surgery? And chapter 15 of Acts, verse 1. You guys there? Say yes. Okay. Uh, It's on page 447 if you've got one of the Bibles you picked up at the door. Now, I'm going to kind of read this commentary to you to get the backstory because this is really going to help with what we're talking about today. In chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what these false teachers, Judaizers, were saying. Paul had come in and led them to faith in Christ, but then other people came down, Jews, and said, Oh, no, you got to keep the law of Moses. And you got to have some surgery, some circumcision. Went from good news to bad news, real quick. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they got into a big argument. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And this is what Paul is talking about over in Galatia. God sent us and we decided to go to Jerusalem to find out which one is true. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused, which caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all the things that God had done with them, how they were spreading the gospel to the Gentiles and people were getting saved. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them. 
and to command them to keep the law of Moses. See, that was the message of the Judaizers. Same guys. And now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Which is it? Is it salvation by grace through faith? Or is it salvation through Jesus plus? And so this was the discussion. And verse 7, And when there had been much dispute, as you can imagine, Peter, everybody say Peter. Peter. Okay, remember, Peter is at this meeting. This is going to become important in a moment back in Galatians. Peter is at this meeting, and he's going to weigh in on the argument. Peter rose up, and he said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and Keep the law, is that what it says? No, that they should believe. Just believe, have faith. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledging them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us and made no distinction between us and them, between the Jews and Gentiles, purifying their hearts by the law? Nope, by faith, by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples or or put them back into bondage, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? They figured out by now, nobody could keep the law. If we could keep the law, Jesus didn't need to die. But we can't keep the law. We're going to talk about that next week. I already had some people ask, okay, so if we're saved by grace through faith and it has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments and the law, then why did God give us the law in the first place? We're going to answer that question. God's going to answer it from his word next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. That's just a little teaser for next week, okay? And so Peter's saying, listen, that just puts people back in bondage to tell them they've got to do all these works to please God and be saved. And so he goes on here in verse 11. But we believe that through the grace, which is a gift, it's unmerited favor, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter says, and these guys said, listen, we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not Jesus plus law. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus surgery. It's Jesus. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And so then they decide that you're right. It is only faith in Jesus. Then they put a letter together to send back to the churches to tell them their decision. Don't listen to the Judaizers. It's not about, you know, Jesus plus. It's about Jesus. And they write this letter. And then Paul takes this letter back to some of the churches and he reads it to them. And then watch the reaction of the churches in verse 30 and 31. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch to read this letter of decision. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. I'm sure they did. The Judaizers were just there saying, you've got to get circumcised. Now they get a letter back going, no, you don't. Sweet, yes. That was a close one. And they were encouraged, and they felt free again. That it's about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, His Spirit living in us and guiding us through His Word. It's not about rules and regulations and and laws. It's Jesus alone who can save and rescue. Now jump with that in mind. That's what Paul's referring to here as he opens up Galatians chapter 2. Go back to Galatians chapter 2. Did that help you to get that backstory a little bit? So now he's going and he's, he's writing this letter to Galatians and he's telling them about that meeting and that's what he was referring to in the first two verses and then pick it up in verse three. He says, you know, when I was at that meeting, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, he wasn't a Jew, was compelled to be circumcised. He says, he, he was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, not even him, even though the Judaizers were trying to get him to be. Look at verse four. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth 
to spy out our liberty, our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage again. They even tried to get Titus to get circumcised. And, and, Peter, and Paul was like, no way. No, that is not how you're saved. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission. We did not give in to the Judaizers, even for an hour or for a second, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who it seemed to be something, whatever they were, Paul says, makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to, say a church, no man, to no one. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. They didn't convince me in, in any way. You see, Paul was not trying to please people. He was trying to please God. And he avoided people problems by saying, you know, I don't care who you are or what you say or how high up you are. I'm listening to what God said and what God told me to do. You see, when we try to please people, we get in all kinds of trouble. We become very disappointed when we try to please somebody and they don't respond the way we would like them to. We, we get very frustrated with them. We get very discouraged. We sometimes get bitter when we try to please people and we don't get the reaction that we'd hope for. When we try to please people, would you agree, it leads to all kinds of problems. It leads to all kinds of problems. And, and I've seen people, sometimes we see people that we call them people pleasers. And I mean, they'll do anything to please people and impress people. I mean, I, I've known people that are people pleasers. They will just lie. They'll flat lie to make themselves sound good or what they're saying sound good to try to gain the favor of somebody, to impress somebody. People pleasers won't be honest with you. They'll tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Uh, they won't be honest with their feelings and, because they want to keep everybody happy and please everybody. People pleasers are notorious for overcommitting. They don't say no to anybody because they want to please everybody. And when you overcommit, you can never follow through. You're going to end up upsetting somebody. You're going to overcommit at work to please somebody and you're going to upset your family. You're, you're going to overcommit maybe to your family and you're not get your job done. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And even if we do find ourselves making people happy and pleasing people, we better be careful of that. Because when we stand before God someday, the Bible says we're going to be rewarded for the things we did, not for people, but for what we did for the Lord. There's no rewards in pleasing people. You see, the one thing you can always count on when it comes to people, I've said this before, is you can't always count on people. Isn't that true? The one thing you can always count on when it comes to people is you can't always count on people. They'll let you down, and you'll let them down. That's why it's safer and makes more sense to just please God. Amen? And he'll never let us down. I heard a story about uh, three pastors. And uh, they, they decided to take a day off from work and, and they, to go fishing. And so these three pastors went fishing. They got in the boat and they were out on this boat. And they were just kind of sharing about their life and their ministries. And, and one of them kind of really felt convicted. He said, you know, I don't feel like I have anybody I could talk to. But I feel like I can be honest with you guys. And they're like, oh, yeah, brother, you know, we, we know what it's like to be a pastor. What can we do to help you? And he said, well, he said, uh, I hate to say this. I hate to admit this. But I just need to come clean. He said, I've... Uh, I've had an affair on my wife. And they're like, oh, brother, we're so sorry. Let us pray for you. How can we encourage you? How can we make this right with your wife and all this? And, and, and so they prayed for him. And then the next guy, pastor, he got convicted about what this guy had shared. He goes, well, I gotta be honest. There's something I gotta, I gotta get off my chest. I gotta share. He said, uh, I've been really having some financial struggles lately. And man, I've taken a little money out of the offering, you know, in addition to my salary. I've just kind of dipped in there. And oh, man, they said, let's pray for you, brother. And you need to make that right. You need to pay that back. And okay. And then the third pastor sitting in the boat, and he's thinking for a minute, he said, you go, guys, I got something I need to confess to. I got, I got to be honest with you. He said, uh, I've got a real problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get back to town. 
people will let you down. <laughs> Don't try to please people. And you know what is true? I've seen in ministry, and I have to be careful of this myself. I'll be honest. We got to be careful as a church, we don't try to please people as a church. I got to be careful, I don't try to please people as a pastor because I'm not going to stand before God someday and answer for, Did you please the people? I've got to answer before God, Did I please God? Did I lead our church according to this book of what we're supposed to do? And I, I'll tell you, you read this book long enough, sooner or later, you're going to be offended by something in here. That's why we have chosen from day one as a church, one of the things we want to be known for at Orchard Church is that we don't teach opinions and ideas, we teach the Bible. We teach the Word of God, and one of the reasons we choose to study the Bible verse by verse and expositionally most of the time, the reason we do that is because it forces us to deal with areas that may not be comfortable but are necessary. If we're just trying to please people, I promise you there's some, there's some places I'd like to skip if I'm just trying to please people. If you want to avoid people problems, first of all, you got to avoid trying to please people. It's about pleasing God. Number two, if you want to avoid people problems, you got to avoid getting distracted. Avoid getting distracted by people. Look at what Paul said in Galatians, the next verse, verse 7 through 12. But on the contrary, Paul says, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised the Gentiles had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, which would be the Jews, was to Peter... For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship being sent to the circumcised, the Jews also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. What, what Paul is saying is here, God specifically called my ministry to, to the Gentiles, to those who weren't Jews, to lead them to faith in Christ. And Peter, he specifically called him to speak to the Jews who needed to come to faith in Christ. And that's what he's saying there. And then verse 9, he says... And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars or leaders in the church, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They accepted us. And when we sh that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And anytime you see circumcised, just think Jews. Uncircumcised, think Gentiles. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing that I also am eager to do. Now when Peter, now here's the real deal right here, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, where Paul was, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. We could translate this today. Paul got all up in his grill. He was ticked. He was up in his stuff in his business. He was mad. What was he mad at Peter about? Well, watch. For before certain men came from James, and those would be Judaizers, false teachers, before they showed up in Antioch, before they came, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they showed up, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision or fearing the Judaizers and what they were teaching. You see, because the old law, the Old Testament law said, Jews were not supposed to hang out with Gentiles. They were not supposed to eat with Gentiles. They were not supposed to talk or have company with Gentiles. But all that changed when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene. And Peter was doing that and everything was cool until the Judaizers showed up and then he was like, oh, uh, sorry, I can't eat with you guys anymore. Sorry, sorry, I gotta move over here. Can't sit at that table anymore. And Peter's fear led to Peter's fall. And what was his fear? It wasn't a fear of God. It was a fear of people, fear of what other people would think. Peter became distracted by what the Judaizers thought, what other people thought, and he stopped doing what he knew God would have him to do, and he was distracted by people. Now, 
This is the same Peter that, remember what we said in Acts 15, what happened? At that meeting, Peter stood up and defended the Gentiles and said, they're saved the same way we are, by grace through faith in Jesus. We're all the same now. We're all one in Jesus. This is the same Peter that stood up and defended that. And then you read here in Galatians that when the people, the Judaizers showed up, now he's not defending it. He's running from it. He's hiding. He's embarrassed. And he's distracted by the people. We don't have time to go into all of it, but check it out later in Acts chapter 10. It's a story of when Peter, Peter first thought that only Jews could be saved. Just Jews and nobody else. And then God one day gave a vision to Peter. And, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 10, maybe this afternoon. And there's this whole dream that he has, this vision. And God sends this big sheet down from heaven. And on this, this blanket, on this sheet, is all the, these different foods, these different animals that Jews used to not be able to eat. I mean, there was steak and pork chops and bacon. and I mean, it was like an all-you-can-eat buffet that God just drops down from heaven in front of Peter. Now, Peter should have been like, score! That's awesome! You know, I mean, it's got seafood on it. It's got all this stuff. And Peter, three times, is like, oh, God, I can't eat that. Oh, God, I can't eat that. Oh, God, I can't eat that. And he should have received the message from God from heaven that all you eat buffets are from God. (laughs) But what God was doing was he was trying to let Peter know that I didn't just come to save Jews. I came to save everybody. And Peter got that and he understood it. And he ended up going to a man, a Gentile man named Cornelius. He goes to Cornelius' house and he eats with him his first meal with a Gentile because God told him it was okay. And in Acts chapter 10, let me just read a couple of verses. We'll put them on the screen. It says this. And this was Peter, what happened to him. And as he talked with him, with Cornelius, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful what the law says that how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go to one of another nation, to a Gentile. Now look what he says. But God has shown me. Everybody say, God has shown me. God has shown me me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He realized we are all now one in Christ It's not Jew and Gentile or black or white or Asian or American or, I mean, it's, we're, we're one. And Peter became distracted though from what God had shown him by what others were now saying, the Judaizers and what they thought. And he became distracted. And I just wonder, do we ever find ourselves distracted from what we know God has told us and shown us when we're around certain other people? We're all guilty of that from time to time, aren't we? We know what God has shown us. We know what God has told us. We know what God's word says. But sometimes we get around other people and we get distracted by people instead of doing what God has called us to do or God has called us not to do. You know, I know God wants me to to be in his word. I know God wants me to pray. I know God wants me to be in a small group where I can fellowship with other believers. I know God wants me to be a disciple maker. He told us to go and make disciples. I know God wants me to serve. I know God wants me to give. I know God wants me to be a witness of my faith. I I know God wants me to be baptized. That's what his word tells me after I'm saved. But I'm worried what this person will think. I'm worried what my spouse might think. I'm worried what my kids might think. I'm worried what my parents might think. I know grown people who will not follow God's word because they're worried about what mom or dad thinks. That's religion, folks. That's not relationship. 
Don't get distracted by people. Do what God has shown you to do or stay away from things that God has shown you to stay away from. You know, God has shown me not to, you fill in the blank. I know God has shown me I shouldn't be doing this. But when I'm with this person, fill in the blank, when I'm with so-and-so, when I'm with this friend, when I'm with this group of friends, when I'm with this coworker, when I'm with this family member, I end up doing things I know God has asked me not to do, and we get distracted by people. Instead of doing or not doing what God has shown us, and that can lead to all kinds of problems. Agree? And, and you know, one of the problems might be, I know that I'm supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus, being led by his spirit and his word, but somebody's come along and tried to make me religious and told me I can, can do these things and I can't do these things. I can't find them in the Bible, but boy, they're really strong about them, and that's legalism. And, and if we are more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing people, we have to avoid getting distracted by people, which distracts us from what God has shown us to do. Very practical, isn't it? Two things. So first of all, if we want to avoid people problems, we have to avoid trying to please people. Number two, we have to avoid getting distracted. Number three, if we want to avoid people problems and problems, we have to avoid the bandwagon. Avoid the bandwagon. There's a lot of people on that bandwagon right there. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. What happens next? And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. Not only did Peter stop eating with Gentiles when the Judaizers showed up, but there were a bunch of other Jews that stopped as well. They kind of followed Peter's lead, and they jumped on the bandwagon with him. And so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. They all started jumping on the bandwagon with the Judaizers when they showed up. They started jumping on the bandwagon. You know, other Jews, Barnabas, jumping on this religious bandwagon that, oh, we can't eat with the Gentiles now. And they became, they became legalistic, they became religious. Don't, maybe it's just me. But I, I, bandwagon fans drive me crazy. Anybody with me? I mean, bandwagon fans. I, this year in the Super Bowl, you know, especially around here, you know, was, you had a couple teams to choose from. I mean, if it, were, if it were the Broncos, we all know who we'd be rooting for, okay? So if you went to a party, everybody knows, you know, and if they weren't rooting for them, we wouldn't let them in. And so, you know, I, I went to, I had a family in our church, a couple that we were in our small group. They invited us to come to their Super Bowl party, and it was their family and some friends. I mean, there was like 30 people. And so when I came in the door, you know, and I had already decided, you know, I, I kind of reasoned it out and I decided I was going to root for the Ravens. That's what I decided, okay? And so I went in and I wanted to know who is everybody rooting for? I went around the room. Who are you rooting for? Who are you rooting for? Who are you rooting for? I didn't want to get to like, you know, third quarter and some dude's like, yeah, all right, you know, and, and, and they're just jumping on the bandwagon. I wanted to know where do you stand? I, here's who I, where I stand. Uh, my, my son, Caleb, and I didn't get permission to tell this story, so I hope he doesn't get upset, but he's, a, he's, a, he's our athlete. He plays baseball, and he's really into that, and he has always been super competitive. I mean, he hates to lose, which can be really good when you're in athletics. You know, he's very driven by that, and uh, he's, he's gotten over this. He's outgrown it, but when he was really young, he was the biggest bandwagon fan I have ever seen. I'm not kidding. He had like 20 different favorite teams. 
We'd be, we'd be, watching, we'd be watching a ball game, and, and, and it'd be like half, you know, it'd be like second quarter, and I'd be like, Yo, so Caleb, who are you rooting for? Haven't decided yet. Don't know yet. He'd wait till like in the third quarter, going to the fourth quarter. He'd wait till like the ninth inning. Yeah, I've been, I've been rooting for them the whole time. I just, I just been quiet about it, you know. But he's, he's gotten over that. Now he has a couple of teams. He's very faithful to. You know, we were guilty. I mean, in 2007, when the Rockies went on that run, we were guilty. We jumped on the Rockies bandwagon. But here's the good news: we're still on it, and we've had every reason to jump off. And we're still there. We're still there. But you know what is also true? People can jump on the religious bandwagon. And, and, and in the name of religion and legalism, the name of Christianity, people can jump on all kinds of crazy religious bandwagons that really have nothing to do with God. And, and you know, again, I've been guilty of this. In my life, I've been guilty at times of jumping on the religious bandwagon. When I told you about my church growing up, that pastor came in with a bunch of rules, and one of the things he did, he put a bunch of rules on our youth group. You know, I was in the youth group at that time. And I remember we went to, to a camp, and uh, of course, you know, he chose the camp because he knew what they were speaking on and what they were going to say. And one of the things that they challenged all of us to do, if you're a Christian teenager, you can't be a good Christian teenager if you have secular music. You can't have any secular music, no secular music. And so most of our youth group jumped on this spiritual religious bandwagon and we came home from camp and we had a record burning. Now, for some of you, you have no idea what this is. <laughs> this is called a record, an LP right here. And, and, and during that time, this is all we had. Try putting that in your iPod, okay? <laughs> and so we came home and we all got all excited, and we got all charged up by our youth director, and we charged each other up, and we said, we're going to burn and break all of our secular music. And we had this burning of all of our records. And yeah, I, I broke and burned records by Journey, Ario oh. Speedwagon. I remember this one. I burned four and four. Gah. And, and, and worst of all, Van Halen. Ah, oh. uh, yeah. Now, I think that was the al album that had Running With The Devil on it. So that one maybe was, oh, that might have been a good one. I could have burned that 45. But we all jumped on this religious bandwagon. And we burned our records. And then a month later, we were all signing up for Columbia. You know, pay a penny, get like 500 free. You know what I'm talking about? It was It was crazy. It wasn't because God led us to it. It was because some guy stood up and yelled enough to get us fired up. Yeah, that's what we need to do to be a good Christian. And then I became a youth director. And these were long gone. And there were these smaller versions of these called CDs. And there was kind of a little period of something called a cassette in between there. And, and my youth group, I thought, hey, I had to do this. Misery loves company. And so we went to this one camp, and the guy kind of did the same thing. You know, burn all your CDs, you know, burn, burn all your cassettes, and, and do all this. And so, you know, a lot of our kids came back, and they jumped on that bandwagon, and they were going to do the same thing, going to get rid of all their secular music. True story. And, and there was this one kid in our youth group, this one guy, and he was like, I'm, I'm not doing that. 
And he was one of our core kids. I mean, he was one of our leaders in our youth group. And all the rest of the kids and all the rest of the leaders were like, well, come on, what? you know, we're having a burning, you know, we're breaking our CDs, we're doing this, and, 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 and if you're right with God, you'll do it too. And he was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And he stood his ground. And I mean, there were girls going up to this guy and just crying, oh my gosh, you're going to go to hell if you don't burn CDs. I mean, it was just this crazy spiritual religious bandwagon. And this one guy he was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And he held his ground. All the rest of the kids they burned their stuff and all of that and then same thing about a month later all these kids were trying to mow lawns and stuff to go raise money to rebuy the stuff that they had burned and gotten gotten rid of and this one guy this one kid was smiling because he had not participated in the spiritual bandwagon exercise and you know him today because he is our worship director Gary Durbin <laughs> He was the only one led by the Spirit. He was the only smart one. And here's the problem. We didn't get rid of those things. You know, and I don't know everybody's heart, but I know mine. I didn't do that because I was trying to please God. I was just jumping on some religious, spiritual bandwagon. Instead of being led by God and His Spirit and not people. And boy, there's all kinds of bandwagons in church. I mean, there's the dress bandwagon. You know, there's the can't have a tattoo bandwagon, you know. And I mean, I don't have a tattoo currently but you know if it's like you know they try to twist some scripture around you know that if you have a tattoo you're not right with God it's just crazy stuff you know that that's why here at Orchard when I was on the spiritual bandwagon for a while myself the church I first pastored you guys are gonna be blown away by this I wore a suit and tie to preach in every Sunday yeah yeah they're collecting dust they come out at funerals and weddings now and that's it and that's why I wear jeans every Sunday because I'm free <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen, listen, if you like to dress up when you come to church, great, go for it. If, if you don't like secular music, you want to listen to Christian music, great, go for it. You know, if you want to have a tattoo, great. If you don't want to have one, great. But listen, let's not confuse our preferences with the Bible. There's a difference with truth. I learned the hard way as a pastor that the Holy Spirit does not need my help. If I just preach the word of God and let the Spirit lead in people's lives, he'll do a much better job of guiding and leading people than I can. You believe that, amen? Let, let's be led by the Spirit and our relationship with Christ and his word and not rules and regulations and spiritual bandwagons. Listen, we shouldn't be trying to get people to jump on our spiritual bandwagon of our religious preferences. There's only one bandwagon I want people jumping on and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And you can celebrate that. I heard somebody wanting to, yes. That, that's what we're about here at Orchard Church. We need to avoid people problems by avoid trying to please people, avoid getting distracted, avoid the bandwagon. And then number four, if you're going to avoid people problems, you've got to avoid spiritual pride. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew, Peter, live in the manner of the Gentiles and eat with them and not as the Jews, why do you compel Jews to, or Gentiles to live like Jews? It's like, that's hypocritical. That's prideful. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles are like the Gentiles. And I'll explain that. Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even 
we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You're going to learn what justified means next week. But if we... But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. He's saying, you know, is Jesus making us sinners because he says now it's okay to eat with Gentiles? No. He knows what he's talking about. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, that's when I make myself a transgressor. Paul says, when I tell people it's freedom in Christ, we're saved by grace through faith, and then I go back and tell them they gotta keep the law, he's like, that's hypocritical. That's spiritual pride. That doesn't make any sense. He said in verse 15, he says, we who are Jews by nature and are not sinners of the Gentiles. He was being facetious. That was the message of the Judaizers. Well, we're Jews by nature. We were born Jews. We're not sinners like those Gentiles. And by the way, if you're in here today and you're not a Jew, then you are a, a Gentile. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And, and he's saying that, that, that phrase, the Judaizers love that phrase, we're Jews. We're not j sinners like the Gentiles. We're not Gentile sinners. That was just religious pride. It was religious pride. And Paul was rebuking Peter for thinking that he was better than the Gentiles because he was a Jew. And spiritual pride is one of the most dangerous attitudes that we can have or that we can slip into. It can mess our relationships up, our marriages up, our relationship with our kids, with people, our friends, coworkers. Pride can mess us up more than anything else. You agree? Say yes. Listen, in God's family, there is to be no racial, no social, no economic distinctions. It's we are one in Christ. We are one. Religion, I told you last week, provides a system of measurement so that we can measure ourselves among ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves. And be prideful and say, well, I'm better than them, or I'm not as bad as them, so I'm okay. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus. Jesus said this, and this, this verse keeps me humble. And it ought to keep all of us humble. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, that means a relationship, has a relationship with Jesus, and I in him, bears much fruit. Because without me, you can do, say it, church, Nothing, anything that we have, anything we do is a gift from God. Our family, our friends, our job, our country. Listen, I know America's not perfect, but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'm glad I'm American. That's a gift from God. You know, being a part of this church, all the blessings we've seen on this church, all the people that come to Christ and been discipled and baptized and growing and, and, and all of that. Listen, we cannot take credit for any of that. It is a gift from God. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. One of the best ways to avoid people problems is to stay humble. Stay humble. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationships. Avoid spiritual pride. So Paul gives us four examples here. If you want to avoid people problems, avoid trying to please people. Avoid getting distracted by people. Avoid the bandwagon. Avoid pride. So now that you know what not to do, it's important that you know what to do. You know what to avoid. So now what do you do? It's the last few verses right here, verse 19 to 21. Verse 19 to 21, Paul says, for I, through the law, died to the law. I'm not trying to keep the law anymore that I might live to God. I'm not trying to please the law. I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to keep rules and regulations. I'm trying to live for, say it church, God. 
I'm trying to live for him. For I have been crucified. I died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, in this flesh, I live by, say it church, by faith. I don't live by works. I don't live by law. I don't live by religion. I live by faith. Faith in what? In the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He died for nothing. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Religion is spelled do. Christianity is spelled done. It's not about what we do. It's about what was done for us. And we live by faith in the fact that what Jesus did for us was enough. It was enough. It was sufficient that Jesus alone can save, that Jesus alone can rescue. I quote this verse all the time, and it nails it. It says this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For, can we put that on the screen? For by grace you have been saved through, say it, church, faith. And that not of yourselves. It had nothing to do with anything you did or didn't do. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. Because if we had done something, we could boast about it. God wants us to live for him because we want to, not because we have to. And it's the natural response to the one who has died for us. It's the natural response to the one who has set us free. May our desire be what Paul's was. I want to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when you live for that reason and that reason alone, church, that is freedom. In Jesus and Jesus alone. Celebrate that this morning. Let's celebrate that. <clears throat>